So I want to tell you a story. So um, recently, um, I heard this story about a pastor. And uh, that's perfect. Thank you. Let me scoot back. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jesse. So recently, I heard a story about a pastor. And he had been at his church for quite a long time. Loved his church, loved his people, um, but the church struggled incredibly. The people in the church did not love their pastor. They complained all the time. There was a lot of bickering and fighting in the church, and, you know, the church just, the church struggled. Um, and people complained all the time. And the pastor served his church faithfully. He'd been there for quite a few years, and he finally got so discouraged that he quit. He's just like, I'm done with ministry. I'm out. You know, I'm done with these people. And he left. It was super unexpected. And um, of course, they hired another pastor. And he came, and pretty much the same thing happened. The pastor worked like crazy. The people were unhappy. People just kept on leaving the church. <laughs> and he finally decided that you know, you've heard that term, this church is dead, right? And this pastor said, our church is dead. Our church is dead. And so he decided that he was going to have a funeral for his church. And he told everybody, he said, hey, our church is dead. And we are having a funeral to remember our dead church. So he told everybody about it. Put it out there, Sunday, 3 o'clock, we're having a funeral for our church. And people showed up like crazy. People who were in the community, had nothing to do with the church. People who had been a part of the church their whole life, who had left the church, they came back. And they listened to this pastor talk about their church. And, of course, at the, at the very end, you know, um, when you have a, a funeral, right, um, the funeral director gets up and says, hey, you know, uh, if you want to come forward and pay respects to the body, then I invite you to do so at this time, right? And so he said, hey, I want to invite you to come forward, and I want to invite you to look inside this casket this morning. And when you look in this casket, you are going to see what killed this church. So this morning, I'm gonna ask, um, I'm gonna ask Dan if he can come forward this morning. Dan, come on, walk by. Nope. <laughs> but I want you to look and see what killed this church. Okay, let me let me close this casket now. So so Dan, when you looked inside, what did you see? You saw yourself. Were you expecting that? I was not. How that? How does that make you feel? Like I need to change something. Does it make you look within your own heart? Like, oh, what am I doing? Okay, great. Thank you. Can sit down. You know, sometimes, right? Sometimes in life we have those bam kind of moments when the unexpected happens. Like, right? 
He told us, you're going you're gonna to walk by this casket and you are going to look in and you are going to see what killed this church. And the last thing people were expecting was to see was a mirror in the image and the reflection of themselves in that mirror. And sometimes, your music, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> sometimes it happens, right? We have those moments when we're just, you know, caught off guard and someone or something speaks into our lives and causes our eyes to open up and we catch our breath and it causes us to reflect and say, whoa, I wasn't expecting that, right? And sometimes with sin in our lives, that's the way it is where we have moments or we're just caught off guard because we have sin in our life that's unconfessed, it's unrepentant of, and we think we've just kind of skated on by. No one's ever going to find out, no repercussions. You know, um, I like to read the newspaper and I typically like to read just the Detroit papers because I like Detroit sports. So, you know, that's why I watch. That's why I read. And it just so happened, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, I was reading about whatever. And this is just, just totally, you know, I always say random things, right? Just got trying to get your attention. And I was reading about a guy who got caught with child pornography. And, and he was a photographer and took all kinds of pictures for gymnastics stuff. And the FBI arrested this guy, and he's like, oh, you know, I didn't know. I, I had this on my computer. I downloaded it 10 years ago, and I didn't know I was in a part of this file sharing, file sharing program. And I don't know. I haven't, but, he, you know, I'm, gonna I'm just going to assume, like, okay, maybe this happened. And he thought... Oh, well, that was 10 years ago. No one's ever going to find out now. And 10 years later now, he's paying a price for those mistakes he made in his life. You know, in our story this morning, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you don't need to turn there yet, Morgan, but this is a story about a guy who was incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential. He had it all. Of course, you know him as King David, right? And um, preceding 2 Samuel 12, we're told a story about this affair that he has. And he's out walking on his rooftop one evening. And he oversees a woman taking a bath, Bathsheba. And David, rather than capturing his own thoughts, taking his thoughts captive, he allows his thoughts to linger upon this naked woman. Uh, there's an Old Testament book called Job. Chapter 31, verse 1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And David like, God, whatever you've done in my life, I'm not satisfied. It's not enough, and I want more. And so David, of course, sees this woman, and he calls her up to his palace. 
and there has an adulterous relationship with her. And I don't know how it happened, but in my mind, I imagine that she probably sent him a note a couple months later. Said, David, I'm pregnant. Signed, Bathsheba. And David then was like, oh, man, now what do I do? And so oftentimes what a lot of us do with unconfessed, unrepentant sin, what do we do? We try to do what? Cover it up even more. Right? I mean, come on. Who hasn't, don't raise your hands, but who hasn't been there? Who hasn't done that, right? And so David does what a lot of us do when we're confronted with a situation where we've made a mistake. He digs the hole even deeper. And he knows her husband, Uriah, is serving him faithfully. And he calls him back and says, you know what? Of course, you know, he calls him off the army line to come back. And, well, David's like, well, if I can just get him to sleep with her, and then she'll get, then, then he'll think the baby's his and we're all set. <laughs> and, of course, that doesn't happen. He comes back and he's faithful to David and says, no, I wouldn't do that. That would be dishonoring. He doesn't do that. So David has to get Uriah killed. David doesn't actually kill him himself, but David has him murdered by saying, hey, put him on the front lines and then, you know, withdraw the army. And so he dies. And, of course, that happens. And then David, being the man that he is, is like, oh, there's this widow now grieving. I will, I will rescue her. I'll marry her. I mean, come on, right? David is the hero here in this situation. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. But thankfully, David had a friend in his life. And his name was Nathan. We all need a Nathan in our lives. Or a Nanette. I don't know. It's the female name of Nathan. I don't know. <laughs> we all need a Nathan in our lives. Nathan was a prophet for God. You all know what a prophet means, that a prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. God used him as his mouthpiece to speak to other people on his behalf. And Nathan was not a critic of King David. He was actually, he was actually uh, King David's, he was not only a prophet, but he was a friend of David's. He had gone to David. God says, Nathan, I want you to go to David and I want you to speak to him on my behalf. But this wasn't the first time that he had spoken to David on God's behalf. You look back a, a couple previous chapters, in chapter 7 in particular, and Nathan speaks to David on God's behalf. So this wasn't the first time that he came to David saying something to him. And so David marries Bathsheba, chapter 11, Chapter 12, it's probably, it's only in our Bibles, it's just the next line. But in time sequence, it's probably about a year, right? And David has one of these moments. Second Samuel chapter 12. I think we'll have it on the screen. Second Samuel 12 says, The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. David, I want to tell you a story about two guys in a town. One was super rich 
and the other was poor. The rich guy, he owned a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle. But the poor guy, he owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate. It drank from his own cup. I mean, this guy loved this lamb. He gave everything. I mean, he bought it with all that he could afford. He loved this lamb. He, he cared for it. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd to make a sacrifice and present, you know, and uh, to make a dinner for this guy, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he prepared that for his guest. David's like, what? You know, Jesus says, you know, Remove the, remove the what in your own eye, the plank. Remove the plank in your own eye before being concerned about the speck in somebody else's eye. You know, it doesn't say don't be concerned, but hey, you know, allow God to work. On, and it's so easy when you're, I don't know about you guys, but probably nobody else in this room feels like this. But it's so easy, it seems like when you find yourself in the middle of sin that's unconfessed, that's undealt with, Right? When I find, I don't know about you, but when I find myself having sin in my life, right, it's easier, far easier to look at who? Everybody else than it is to look at myself. Anybody identify with that? Someone say amen. amen. Right? And David's like, oh, you're kidding me. As surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs, which is what Scripture said. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said, David, don't you realize that that's what you've done? You murdered Uriah. You are a thief, David. You stole something. That doesn't belong to you. You know, it's, in, it's interesting. This past week as I was thinking about this and reading, of course, and studying. And, and, and just on a side note, I didn't say this first service. So, you know, I, I just say whatever, you know. But um, on, a, on a side note, this guy was talking about and whatever. And you guys, I, this has whatever. I just say what I, you know. So, but this guy was talking about pornography. And he said, you know, pornography is uncovering the nakedness of somebody else. And scripture talks about this sin of uncovering the nakedness of somebody else. And he said it was as if you are in pornography. It's as if you are stealing something that doesn't belong to you. I was like, whoa. That's brutal. It's like I'm stealing something. David, you're that person. The God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel. I saved you from the power of this guy who was after you, who was you know, persecuting you. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, David, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised 
the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed. David, why have you despised my word? David, why have you not just despised my word, but you have despised me? For you've murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites, and you have stolen his wife. David, from this time on, David's going to be forgiven, but even though we're forgiven, when we confess, we repent, we turn to Christ, David's, Nathan's like, David, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. David, you're, there's going to be a lot of heartache in your family. We know David's sons would turn against him. We know there would be all kinds of other sexual sin that would happen in his own family. I mean, it was just struggle after struggle. This is what the Lord says, because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Matter of fact, David, one of your sons will sleep with your wives on the very same rooftop that you've committed adultery with with Bathsheba. You did this secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And David, he doesn't excuse his sin. He doesn't rationalize his sin. He doesn't blame everybody. Well, you know what? If Bathsheba hadn't been out there, if she hadn't been quite so attractive, if her husband had been home, I don't know, you can think of a thousand reasons why, right? Remember last month when we talked about judges and how God said, hey, when you guys go into the to promised land, I want you to clear out these foreigners because I don't want you to get sucked into worshiping their gods and becoming a part of their culture and being led astray by them. And they're like, okay, God, well, you know what? We're not actually going to follow you all the way because God is a little bit too hard. It's hard for me to follow you all the way. God, we're not really going to follow you all the way because, you know what, these people would be good slaves. Like we could, you know, there's reasons not to listen to you, God. And so often that's what we do when we want to be disobedient to God, right? That's what really what sin is. Sin is disobedience. God says, hey, this is what's best for you. And we say, well, God, I really... I'm going to choose this because I, want, I think this is what's best for me. That's what sin looks like. It's just disobedience. But David doesn't do that when he has that, you know, aha moment. And he's caught off guard and he's confronted with his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. He says, David, you're forgiven. You've confessed. You've admitted. I know you're turning and walking towards Jesus, walking towards Yahweh God, but there's still consequences There's still things that we have set into motion with in lives and relationships. 
We don't always know what that's going to be and what that's going to look like. I'm sure that when Nathan said all these things, God's speaking to David. He had no idea. And we all need a Nathan in our life. Proverbs 27, 6. Uh, it's one of your, your fill-ins. Proverbs 27, 6 says, right, wounds from a sincere friend or wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. And I wrote in your fill-ins there that Proverbs 27, 6 is a picture of someone who loves me. Right? Picture of someone. Nathan was someone who loved David. And so he spoke truth into his life. And we all need a Nathan in our lives. Like we should be praying, God, if there's areas of my life that I'm, that I'm being disobedient in and about, God, would you help me to know? And if it's necessary, would you bring a Nathan into my life so that I can see that? be aware of that or some of us need to be saying God would you help me to be that person in spite of what the consequences might be because sometimes even when you act as Nathan acted sometimes people will just like I want nothing to do with you at least for a time or for a season that's the way they'll be we all need to say God can I be a Nathan or can you bring a Nathan into my life? I wrote on your notes there, uh, Romans 7, chapter 7, we won't, I guess we'll read it. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes about this struggle with sin that we all have. And he kind of puts four terms that I want us to write on our notes. But let me read it. Paul says in Romans 7, again, talking about this sin struggle. He says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Man, I really want to do what's right, but I find myself. He says, it's kind of like you know, I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's this other power within me that is at war with my mind. It's almost like gravity. Like, right, we, you know... Right now, I don't know what the new heaven or new earth is going to look like, but, you know, right now there's gravity. We just cannot escape gravity. And Paul's like, I find it like this, this principle of life when I want to do what's right, but I, I find myself doing what's almost like gravity. I just get pulled back down. And we know as Christ followers that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, like God has restored our relationship with him. But until we're delivered from the presence of sin or the power of sin, then there's going to there, there's be this, this battle, Paul says. Let me go back to that for a second, Morgan. He says, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This struggle, this battle taking place. And notice he doesn't say, it's this battle with my actions. He says, because it happens in my, in my mind, in my thoughts. And we know that there's this outflow into what I do then. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Let me stop there for just a second. Just leave that there, Morgan. Psalm 32. There's two, and you, you guys don't need to, you just write down. Write Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 in your notes. Psalm, P-S-A-L-M. Psalm 32 and Psalm, and go home later on, right? But I'm going to read to you 
David, most theologians, scholars say Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are two passages that were written by David in response to when Nathan comes to him. This very moment when Nathan shows up at his palace and has this confrontation with him and says these hard things, most people say, oh yeah, David wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 in response to that moment. Listen to what David says in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Oh, man, there's joy. When I can live my life in honesty before God. But he says this, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. All day long I groaned, day and night. God, it felt like your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. He doesn't say this, but I'll put it in. Finally, after I was confronted by Nathan, I confessed my sins. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, well, Nathan knows. God must know. I put that in there. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. God, now you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. God, you are my path and my light. God, you guide me. Paul says, man, when I have this unconfessed, unrepentant sin in my life, I'm a miserable person. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and by death? Thank God. Oh, I know I'm not the answer. I know I can never do it on my own. Jesus is our, is our, our Lord, he says. The answer is in Jesus Christ. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I've been, I found myself a slave to sin. But thank God, Jesus is the one who rescues me. I wrote, there's four things, there's four words there I want you to think about with that passage. Paul talks about this struggle, this power, right? It's almost like a law Almost like gravity, this struggle with sin, he says. And again, there's this war that takes place. He's describing this battle and how he feels like a prisoner. And he recognizes when he confesses and when he repents that Jesus brings freedom in our lives. I want you guys to think this morning. Let me think if I had one more point. Oh, yeah. You can write um, the, the fourth point. It says this. It says uh, Luke chapter 15, right, is a story about this guy who has sheep again. And one sheep wanders away. One sheep is lost. Like, you know, we all do that. And it says that the shepherd leaves the 99. They're still cared for. They're, they're okay. But he leaves the 99 and he goes out and he pursues the one lost sheep. And I wrote, um, I wrote under notes that... I think I have it right. Luke chapter 15 is a story about God's pursuit of us in the middle of our sin. And I want you to know that the story about Nathan confronting and going to David, it was a story of, it was a love story. It was God's love for David. It was a story of God's pursuit of David.
And when we have those moments in our lives where we're feeling confronted with our sin, it's God's love story working his way out in our lives that he wants you to know this morning that he's pursuing you. I don't know why you're here. I don't know. You know, I don't know how you got here. But, you know, I always say it's not a coincidence. You know, we picked this topic, this theme, just so you all aware, like, we picked this series back in, uh, like, I don't know, October. I had no idea that you were going to be here on June 4th. And, you know, I don't know. So I don't want anybody to think, oh, well, you know, Pastor Red, nope, nope, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about anything. All I know is, is, you know, I'm here and you're here and it's not a coincidence. And if this is speaking to you this morning, then God's just trying to get your attention. Before your heart gets hardened, God is tugging on the heartstrings of your heart and giving you this opportunity this morning. Say, hey, will you come back to me? I want to give you this opportunity to confess and repent and to turn back to me this morning.